y'all. This is Sam's Aunt Betty. This week on the show, reporter for NPR's breaking news blog, The Two-Way, Vanessa Romo. And from NPR Music and Pop Culture Happy Hour, Stephen Thompson. All right, let's start the show. Love it. So Great. she's getting the big head. She's coming down for our live show that we have next month. And we're like, all right, you get one plus one. She texted me the other day and she was like, I need three plus one. <laughs> I'm bringing my squad. The thing is, her head should be getting big because oh, I was yeah. sitting here like, Aunt Betty knows my name. <laughs> How many outfits is she bringing down? That's my question. I don't even question. know. I don't even know. Hey, y'all, from NPR, I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. Each week, a different song. But first, well, let's just hear the song for a little bit. I love this song. You know who this is. Oh, don't do this to me. <laughs> He's having a moment right now. Long beard. Oh, Roots oh Country. Stapleton. Of yeah, course, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I am terrible at naming that tune. <laughs> it's okay. Two all stars today Vanessa Romo, NPR reporter for NPR's breaking news blog, The Two Way, and Stephen Thompson from NPR Music and Pop Culture Happy Hour. So, this song is called Midnight Train to Memphis. He performed it at SNL this past weekend. He was at the Grammys as well and won. He won, Grammys. yeah, he, he won, won something. Won a bunch of country Grammys, yeah, and he's on the new Justin Timberlake record out today. <laughs> well, <laughs> I refuse to speak of that, <laughs> but I will say I have been enjoying Chris Stapleton's music. It is a country music, unlike what you are hearing on country radio. It's like back a to rock. the basics, yeah, it's country like a rock, rock. Yeah, it's country. Yeah. yeah, and he can just sing. I want to play some more. You can just hear this voice. It is just. <laughs> Yeah, he's got this beautiful kind of sandy tone in yeah, his voice. And yeah. Sounds a little like Chris Cornell to me. Mm. Wow. Yeah, a little, There's a little bit of that power. Okay, a little right. rasp. I like that. A little bit of powering through each other. I like that. When is your record coming out? <laughs> Nobody wants to hear that. <laughs> Let's start the show as we always do. We're going to each describe how this week of news felt in three words. I'm going to go first. My words are, did it matter? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm talking about the State of the Union, which feels like it happened a year ago. It does only, feel like a long time ago. It really does. It's amazing how quickly... That was Tuesday? That was Tuesday. Uh, then the next day, the country moved on to another really big and tragic story. A bunch of GOP lawmakers on their way to a retreat in West Virginia. Their train hit a garbage truck and someone died. That's right. And then we've been obsessed with this memo ever since then. So it's all been overshadowed. And somewhere in there, Russian sanctions were just ignored. Oh, yeah, exactly. (laughs) And I remember in the first wave of coverage after the speech, you know, people were going into their corners, liking the speech, hating the speech. But Trump did talk about some big themes. He talked about paid family leave. He talked about infrastructure, a big infrastructure package. He talked about immigration. But what he didn't do after the speech, which sometimes happens after a so too, He introduced no new policy. He didn't bring any bills to Congress. He didn't say we got something coming. There's talk of an infrastructure bill, but it's not there yet. This was a speech that said a lot, but did kind of nothing. In no way after seeing or hearing that speech did your opinion of Donald Trump change. Right. If you like him, you still like him. If you don't, you still don't. If a speech happens in 2018 in a forest and no one is there to hear it... (laughs) Is it even a State of the Union? 
Well, it does it does put him in a position, I think, because he generates so much news and because he takes up so much oxygen, if there's something that he wants you to remember, if there's a story that he wants and his people want you to hold on to and continue to talk about for days and days and days, I think it's become very, very hard to do that. Mm-hmm. Because the news is just flying at us more and more and more quickly. And then he was even kind of restrained. He had stopped tweeting for a bit, and you're mm-hmm. like, okay, maybe we're going to buckle down for a few days. <laughs> and even his non-tweeting could not stop the news from going every which way. Like one of those air dancing men at a car wash. Car wash. <laughs> That's the news. It only means something in the moment on Twitter. Sort of the right. place that we've gotten to it yeah. as a society right yeah. now. And yeah. now we've moved on on Twitter to like Black Panther pictures. Which I cannot get enough yeah. of. Yeah, Please I'm here for keep it. posting them. Yes. There are these amazing images of the Black Panther premiere. Everyone looking just fantabulous. It, and it's a red carpet unlike anything I've ever seen before, right? It's yeah. these gorgeous costumes and like the preeminent African-American actors of today, like of TV, of movies. And they're just decked out in these gorgeous sort of unconventional red carpet outfits. And they make my heart grow three sizes bigger. And I got weepy looking at them. (laughs) So what you're saying is the state of Wakanda is strong. The state of Wakanda is strong, especially (laughs) if you look at advanced ticket sales. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Vanessa, three words. Three words. Uh, My three words are deciphering coded language. So as you just mentioned, after so too, um, everyone's trying (laughs) to figure out. I love how y'all are mocking me for saying so too. (laughs) It's a real acronym. (laughs) No, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. Uh, Everyone tries to figure out, like, what did he mean, right? What was the expression on Paul Ryan's face, right? Like, what did that mean? Mm -hmm. Someone stood up. Someone didn't clap. Uh You know, all of these things. So as a society, we're, like, obsessed with trying to figure out what people are trying to say, even when they're not talking. But this week, I have been completely obsessed with a new story that I'm working on about the Voynich Manuscript. Has anyone heard of this? Before, I the googled Voynich. it earlier this morning. Right. <laughs> so it's a book that was written in the 1400s, so six centuries ago, and okay. it's written in a coded language oh, based on nope. an unknown language, right? So it's like- I read the Da Vinci Code. I know how this ends. <laughs> Tom Hanks is in the movie. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. Um, no, so it's written on this unknown language, and it's been a mystery for centuries, and cryptographers, historians, yep. archaeologists, like, Linguists, all these different types of people have tried to crack the code. Uh-huh. No one has been able to do it. Until? And this week, a artificial intelligence science programmer in the University of Alberta um, wrote a program that may have actually cracked wow. this code. So are you saying that it is, it is easier to decipher the Voynich manuscript than <laughs> some of the things Donald Trump says in tweets? <laughs> I don't know. Is it really that hard to decipher Donald Trump? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's such a huge breakthrough. I mean, several books have been written about this. I started Wait, books about the book they couldn't decipher. Books about the book. <laughs> and there's like there's like a beautiful bound volume where you get like the best possible print of the original manuscript. Yeah, wow. it's gorgeous. And and one of the things that makes it so mysterious is that no one knows what it's about. Because where did it come from? What country? What place in the world? People still don't know. It oh, was wow. last <laughs> discovered in Italy. Italy, um, in the early 1900s, and the reason it's called Voynich Manuscript is because a guy named Voynich bought it. And so it was named after him. But this thing has been owned by emperors. It's been owned by alchemists to emperors. Some people believe it's got like the secret recipe for turning other metals into gold. I mean, it's, it's actually just the first copy of The Secret. 
<laughs> uh-huh, you can will anything into being yeah, yep. after reading this book. Anyway, Brent says it might be the Nunez memo. <laughs> oh, come on. Let yourself out, Brent. <laughs> anyway, that's my obsession for the week. I love it. Stephen, your three words. Well, I don't know if this is the most important story of the week. I'm not sure that's why you <laughs> bring no me on this Voynich show. It's no Voynich Manuscript. It is no Voynich Manuscript. Uh, my three words are Grammy's gonna Grammy. Yeah. <laughs> that also feels like a year ago. It does feel like a year ago. It was just last Sunday, and one of my many jobs at NPR is to uh, tweet about and talk about I the Grammy Awards. Yeah. And Thank you. And, and every year, the story of the Grammys is the story of disappointment. And how they get it wrong. And how they get it wrong. How they're so old. And, and, blah, blah, blah. and for the for the week after every Grammys, the guessing game going into the Grammys is, what are the Grammys going to have to walk back? Mm-hmm. And this year, there were several. And I think as the, the telecast unfolded and as it was over, most people were dealing with the fact that uh, the Grammys had once again picked an incredibly safe uh, album of the year over the much, much, much more beloved and acclaimed although, less safe. Although, and speaking of safe, so the winner was Bruno Mars for his album Twenty Four Karat Magic. Over yes, over over uh, Kendrick, over Jay Z, over Lord, over who else? Over Childish awesome. Gambino. Childish Gambino. My here's my thing: Bruno Mars being the wrong pick is much better than like Beck or Steely Dan being mm-hmm. the wrong pick. So in the pantheon of wrong picks. I like Bruno. He's a very talented performer. <laughs> Bruno, Bruno is fine. Bruno's fine. Bruno Mars. Have you has, seen him perform? He even just good. crossed his arms and looked down. <laughs> Look, I'm aware of his work. No, <laughs> Bruno Mars has been performing on the Grammys for years and years and years, and I think he has come a long way. As oh shit. No, no. I think in the beginning, when he was first performing on the Grammys, I would sit there like, "What is the Bruno Mars Rock and Soul Review brought to you by Carnival Cruises?" Someone on Twitter <laughs> called him the the best cruise ship performer ever. Right. Someone and, else said that he buys his costumes at Party City. And and you know what? I I like Bruno Mars. Fine. I think when you look at the story of the Grammys, and we'll, we'll get to other controversies in, in just a second, they will always pick kind of the safest yes. choice. And so they picked a very, very safe record that was known mostly for just a couple of singles yeah. over Kendrick Lamar's Damn, which is this very sprawling and enormously acclaimed and popular yeah. record. And I, I think after Adele beat Beyonce... And, were af- alleg- and after Taylor Swift beat Kendrick Lamar. Yeah. And after Beck beat Beyonce yeah. the year before. They you were go back al- yeah. Before that, Macklemore swept oh, Kendrick yeah. in the right. hip-hop categories. And so I guess that the Grammys were trying to say, we're not going to get it. We aren't going to let a white person beat a really popular and talented black person again. So they're like, oh, this will fix it. <laughs> Bruno will fix it. Problem solved. Problem solved. But folks are still mad. <laughs> well, they're still mad. And then in the aftermath of the Grammys, Alessia Cara was the only, like, solo performer to get up there and win a Grammy. So people were asking, wow, women did not have a good night tonight. Yes. SZA went 0 for 5. Yeah. Uh, Kesha went 0 for 2. Uh, you have, obviously, the optics of the of the Me Too movement and where do the Grammys and the music industry fit in with yeah. that. The president of the uh, Recording Academy, Neil Portnow, uh, speaking to reporters, gives the following statement. I think it has to begin with women who have the creativity in their hearts and souls, who want to be musicians, who want to be oh. engineers, producers, and want to be part of the industry on the executive level to step up because I think they would be welcome. So they haven't been stepping up so far is what he's saying. Yeah, they just haven't wanted to. I mean, that's it, right? They're just like hanging out. They don't really want to. Vanessa, do you want to step up and be in the music industry? You can change things. If I was at all musical, oh my God. (laughs) All right, it's time for a break. 
Uh, coming up, we are going to talk the state of the NFL ahead of some big game this weekend. I'm Sam Sanders. We'll be right back. Hey, y'all, got a little promotional message here about something that might be in your house right now. Talking about a smart speaker. I know, a lot of you have some. It can be an Alexa, it can be a Google one. I don't know, there's so many these days. Um, Let me tell you something. That smart speaker is good for something other than just checking the weather and spell-checking things for Scrabble. I don't know. Uh, You can actually use your smart speaker to play NPR. You can ask it right now. Try it to check the news on NPR while you get ready for work or while you're fixing dinner. It is a radio in your house that listens to you. And it makes it even easier than ever to listen to NPR. It's so cool. So tomorrow, uh, as you're getting ready to start your day or end it, whatever, tell your smart speaker to play NPR's It's Been a Minute on NPR One. Then you can hear me and Aunt Betty and more. Thanks. We are back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here with two guests, NPR reporter Vanessa Romo and renaissance man here at NPR, (laughs) Stephen Thompson, who uh, covers music at NPR Music and everything else at Pop Culture Happy Hour. All right, guys, quick question before we get back into the news. This week, there was a study released from scientists at the University of Essex, and they said you can place all social media users into four groups. They are the geek, the lurker, the victim, or the internet celebrity. Which category would you guys fall in? I'm definitely a lurker. Okay. Oh, 100%. Proud of that. 100% a lurker. Yeah. I never tweet anything personal. Okay. Mm -hmm. But I love looking at other people's personal (laughs) tweets and Instagram feeds. I mean, I I don't follow as many people on Instagram. Um, but I definitely lurk okay. in their stagrams. Stagrams. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? I, you know, you said at the top of the segment, Sam, you said I'm a Renaissance man. I like <laughs> to think that I'm a little bit of all four. Nice. <laughs> I would say I am a secret lurker. I pretend mm-hmm. to be like, look at my life, but I'm actually just stalking everyone mm-hmm. on, online. All the time. What do you mean? Look at my life. I just Instagramming like pictures of my dog or like, oh, I look see. at the monuments or here's a bag of Cheetos on the counter. Just <laughs> stupid stuff. That's just to uh, distract you from the fact that I'm creeping on your feeds. I sure. see. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Now it's time for a segment that we call Long Distance. Each week we call up a listener somewhere across the country and ask them how things are going in their neck of the woods. Today on the line from Olympia, Washington, we have Laura Gobin. Hey, Laura, how are you? Hi, Sam. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. You are on the phone with two of my friends, Stephen Thompson and Vanessa Romo. Say hi, guys. Hi. Hey there. How's it going in Washington State? Good. The sun is rising, so that's nice. Oh, you're up early. I always forget that. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry about that. (laughs) That's okay. Appreciate it. Um, You wrote us this week because you heard some NPR stories last week that kind of tie into your life. Uh, we actually talked about this on the show last week as well. Uh, there's been this big NPR series on contract workers, and the numbers are kind of crazy. Like, basically one in five people here in America is a contract worker. That's some 32 million Americans. That means they don't have a single full-time job. They work at least a couple of part-time ones. Uh, that is you, right? You have multiple jobs. Oh, yeah. How many? Go through them. Um, I think last I counted, kind of eight. Oh, Lord. Yeah, I mean, 
a lot of them are under kind of this umbrella of my personal brand or my small business as a performer. So you are a professional oboist and all the other stuff is kind of around that? Like run through the list of like all the jobs and what they entail. Sure. So here in Olympia, um, I play with the symphony um, okay. here. I play with a symphony on the other side of the state a couple weekends a year. Wow. I work with a youth orchestra up north in Seattle. I teach at two different colleges. I teach private lessons. Um, how many was that? That's <laughs> enough. So like... yeah. And so on top of just being busy with all the jobs, you have to travel a lot. Um, you wrote us and mm-hmm. said that you have a one-way, three-hour, 150-mile commute to go teach at another college wow. across the state. Like, how many hours a week are you in the car? Oh, my gosh. A lot. So three hours to get to one of my adjunct jobs. Heading up to Seattle can take an hour, an hour and a half, depending on traffic. Wow. But if I get a call, I kind of go. Wow. I love it. Do you have like a bat signal? Like, is it an oboe in the sky? You get a call and then <laughs> it's time to go. Oh, that's such a good idea. Yes. <laughs> so with all of this work that you do, do you get any benefits? Do you get any retirement savings? Is there any kind of safety net in what you're doing? No, there's hmm. not. Um, do you have yeah. health insurance? I do. Um, I have to pay for it on my own. How much um, is it? About 165 a month. Mm. And I've come up with a system, and we'll see how it works, of saving by percentages. Because huh. I think one of the hard things is saying, like, I'm going to put $300 away, but what if you don't have $300 to put yeah. away that month? Yeah. If you go by percentages, then you know you'll have enough. Yeah. Because, you know, it might be $5. But it's something. But, yeah. but it's something, and it keeps you consistent. And then one month, it might be way more than that. So. What could change that would make your life as a contract worker easier? Is there some law? Is there some shift in some rule? Or like, What would make things easier for you? Yeah. A lot of my work is just going to be contract, kind of no matter what. That's how the field works. Yeah. But what I can think of is a change in the higher education system. Huh. Because um, a big chunk of my pay does come from these colleges. Yes. But a lot of colleges are relying more and more on adjuncts, right. which means no benefits. Uh. So a change in that that would maybe make it easier for adjuncts to get benefits, that would be a huge change Yeah, for me. You may, you may have already um, sort of gotten to this, but uh, Washington's a very progressive state, right, that has like one of the highest um, minimum wage salaries and, you know, um, paid sick leave and all of these different things. Is there anything that's happening in Washington state itself that might help you out? So the paid sick leave and the minimum wage stuff is great. Um, I get paid often per service. Mm. Markers will say like, hey, can you come do this concert? We'll give you whatever, $50 per service. So those kind of things Um, don't really help you. It doesn't. Yeah, I think it's great, but it, it hasn't affected me. Wow. Well... What are your fun yeah. weekend plans? Um, well, today is my weekend, so okay. I'm going to catch up on some stuff and then um, get some drinks with my friend for her birthday. Nice, nice. Yeah. Now you say today is your weekend. Are you working the actual weekend? Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, judging some some high school kids tomorrow, and then I have a performance on Sunday. Judging high school kids like playing classical music? Yep. Playing the oboe. Wait, oh lord! Wait, okay. So, so is the oboe playing on Sunday? Is that counter programming against the Super Bowl? <laughs> <laughs> it is. So I, it was not my plan, but yeah, I will be missing. <laughs> I'll be missing the Super Bowl to play some uh, some Ravel. 
I just feel really bad for you having to listen to the high school just play the oboe for hours on Saturday. I, I love it. I think it's the cutest thing because I was that kid. Okay. But the, the bad oboe sounds real bad. Oh, oh trust me. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Well, I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Hope your friend has a wonderful birthday. And thanks for sharing your story. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Have you ever heard the oboe played very badly? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sending good vibes her way. Uh, Listeners want to talk to you for this segment. If you want us to discuss what's happening in your neck of the woods any week, just hit me up. Sam Sanders at NPR.org. And oboe players, send me some audio. (laughs) I'm feeling frisky. I love that. (laughs) So for our main story today, we're going to talk about the many, many layers in uh, Bruno Mars' album, 24 Karat Magic. (laughs) It's really the the deep cuts I love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I kid, I kid, I kid. We're going to talk about a thing that I actually know even less about. Football. (laughs) Uh, Listeners to this show... Uh, are well aware that I don't really do the sports balls that well. Um, But I wanted to talk about the state of the NFL in light of the Super Bowl this weekend because there's a lot going on off the field that, to me, feels kind of important. You're talking about my Super Bowl party? Yes, which I can't go to. You can't go to my... Now I have friends in town who want to watch it at my place. I was place. not invited Vanessa, to this take Super Bowl. My, take my place. Vanessa, you are so welcome. Uh, it's like a chicken eating contest. Yes, I, so it is, a, it is a Super Bowl party slash fried chicken eating contest. <laughs> this year is Chicken Bowl 22. This is a storied tradition. <laughs> storied tradition. Well, the email announcing it was literally 2,000 words with the rules chicken and wings, the like... Chicken drumsticks, uh, it, chicken... There's a, there's a whole point system. It's basically the chicken eating equivalent of the electoral college oh. determines who won. I once set a record for most pieces of chicken eaten at a chicken bowl but but got Al Gord out of the title. <laughs> Hanging chatted out because, of because, because I didn't eat the right pieces of chicken. It's a oh, whole thing. So I know, I know. Nobody nobody suffers the way I've suffered. How many wings did you eat? It, it's not wings. It's it's all it's different pieces. But it How was many? a total of 18 pieces of, oh, that's of So you ate like four <laughs> chickens. Four whole chickens. <laughs> Stephen Thompson's out here doing work, you guys. That's right. That's right. So I wanted to frame our conversation about the NFL basically as follows. My big question right now is going into the Super Bowl, the biggest weekend for the NFL, what is the state and the actual health of the league itself right now? Uh, Take a knee and Donald Trump's involvement in the politics of the NFL has seemed to overshadow the entire season. Um, There's continued and ongoing studies and reports that show that the game itself Hurts the people that play it. Uh, ratings are down almost 10% over the last season. And all of these things, it seems as if it puts the NFL in not a good spot. Well, I mean, I was just going to say, yes, all of those terrible things. And yet it's still the most popular thing yeah. to watch. Yeah, right? five, Which... out of ten thing, five out of ten of the most watched programs last year. We're NFL. So, yes, all of those things are happening, but I guess the love of the sport and the game from fans, I mean, that is still obviously there. Yeah. I think it's very easy to impose your own agenda. On, okay, I'm on, sorry. No, 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 no. I'm sa- I, one's own agenda. Oh, okay. <laughs> on why ratings for the NFL are down. Yeah. I think it's very easy for conservatives to say that the that the uh, anthem protests are driving viewers away. There, There is evidence that some viewers have stopped watching because of that. There are people who say that because 
because of the the traumatic brain injuries that athletes are suffering, that they don't feel as comfortable watching sports. People can can kind of apply their own reasons to it. But there are also some really basic universal market-based reasons for viewership to be weighed down. Uh, when you think about how many people are cutting the cord and don't have cable boxes anymore, aren't necessarily even watching television yeah. in the traditional way that people have watched TV sitting yeah. in their living room. They're watching things on their on their phones. They're watching things on their laptops. That to me is the thing. It's like, how can you possibly expect to have, you know, ratings that you had 10 years ago, 15 years yeah. ago, before people had so many options? I mean, talk about cutting the cord. I... I actually do pay for cable, but don't even have my TV set up near the cable box because it looks ugly <laughs> where the cable box would be. And, you know, when you talk about beleaguered properties, earlier in the show, we were talking about the Grammys. Well, the Grammys ratings were catastrophically down this year. Like some 30%? They were down something like 30%. Yeah. And one of the explanations for that part of the, and, and there are actually a lot of parallels here, you had several superstars who sat out the Grammys this year. It's funny you should say that. I uh, actually called up Mike Pesca. He is an NFL, he is an NPR, <laughs> two different things. <laughs> he is an NPR sports commentator, also hosts his own podcast called The Gist for Slate. And I was like, Mike, school me, what's going on here? And he said, yeah, taking these part of this. Concussions are part of this. But a really big basic part of this is that the stars of the league haven't been playing as much this year. The most compelling players, who are almost always the quarterbacks, uh, too many of them were hurt. Aaron Rodgers was hurt. Andrew Luck was hurt. Uh, on defense, you had J.J. Watt being hurt. And then you had players who should be up and coming, who we should be glomming onto, getting in the way of themselves, doing horrible things, sometimes being suspended for that. Right. But there are also, like you were suggesting, Sam, you had... The biggest franchises, a lot of the biggest franchises suffered terrible down seasons. The yeah. New York Giants, who were in the playoffs last year, went In the two, biggest media market. <laughs> in the biggest media market. They were terrible. Their oh coach God. got fired partway through the season. I mean, they, the season they was They were like Jay-Z at the, the Grammys. Like, they, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> well, at least Jay-Z was nominated. <laughs> but, you know, the Dallas Cowboys didn't make the playoffs. The Seattle Seahawks didn't make the playoffs. My beloved Green Bay Packers didn't make Aww. the playoffs. The only, the only team that's really untouched by injuries is the New England Patriots. Because they sold their souls to the devil. <laughs> anyway, so there are logical explanations for why the ratings are down. But I also wonder, in light of this, like, have we moved past Take a Knee? I think, I mean, it's really hard to say because, I mean, obviously the motivations for, for, for Take a Knee are very, very serious and they're not a matter of NFL ratings. Mm -hmm. But I've noticed watching the games that the networks don't show mm. players, are, are showing players less and less during the anthem protest. There's clearly been a decision made by the league to try to sweep it under the rug. They can't tell their players, don't do it. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it is interesting, although I will say that NBC did say, they came out and they said, look, if a protest happens this weekend, it's happening, it's live TV, we're, we're going to cover it. it. Like, we're yeah. not going to cut away. If it's happening out there, it'll happen. Mm -hmm. And the Eagles are a very, very politically active mm. and involved team. They've got a defensive back, uh, Malcolm Jenkins, who who has been extremely uh, outspoken politically. Although people have been saying that he is part of this co-opting by the NFL, right? Which is helping to sweep it under the rug. What do you he, mean? He signed on as part of this let's listen together 
package, uh, right? This whole like this, movement. Yeah. So, the, so backstory on that. This is this new like joint player and ownership commitment focused on quote social justice, and they're going to focus on supporting programs that will reduce barriers to opportunity with the priority on supporting improvements in education, economic development, community and police relations, and the criminal justice system. Which is kind of like some folks think a, a cop out. Yeah, although there have been, I think Jenkins himself was involved with Roger Goodell, the NFL commissioner, in this like round table with the law enforcement officers, and they did this whole thing. But I mean, Jenkins, I think, was one of the few players who was still like raising his fist. And then in December, when the NFL and the players put together this this new endeavor, he stopped. He stopped. Ah, so which is probably what they wanted, right? Yeah. Right. Well, there is the question of what is the end game? What is the goal of these protests? I mean, you're trying to raise awareness. Awareness has been raised. What is the next what step? Now? You're try you want to have some sort of concrete program in place to show for it. Uh, but you know, as as much as we're talking about what ails the NFL and and, and ratings are way down and all this, just this week, you talk, we talk about how much news flies by in a given week. The NFL just signed a massively lucrative contract with Fox to air mm. Thursday night football. And Thursday night football games are one of the things people talk about. But when they talk about what ails the NFL is the Thursday night football games are bad. And players hate playing them players, because they haven't recovered from the games on Sunday yet. Right. But Fox just signed this like enormously lucrative deal that is much more than the NFL was getting paid by CBS for their Thursday night games. So the NFL is still kind of kind of ratcheting up the price yeah. of, of their product. They wouldn't be able to do that if the NFL weren't still enormously popular. What I think the leadership of the league knows is that they are big enough and rich enough to outlast this current crop of problems. Right. When you think right. about the face of Take a Knee, Colin Kaepernick, he's gone. Right. He is gone. He's not going to play in the league. Not playing in the league again. He's, his career is basically over, and the NFL outlasted him. Mm-hmm. Um, with all of the rhetoric around how Thursday night games might hurt players, they, they just care. signed a big contract. They just signed a big contract. Yeah. And one of the concerns with this new Fox deal in the Thursday Night Football isn't that also that you're oversaturating the market. It's mm. just yeah. too much. And yeah. so you just, if you don't care about the teams playing, then you're just not going to tune, tune in. They, they really have, I think, oversaturated. I used to watch absolutely every football game at absolutely every opportunity. And once th- football was on Five nights a week. Can't do it. Even I, even I, (laughs) even I have more things to do. Chicken eating champion. (laughs) But I was kind of concerned about what the NFL could do if they wanted to fix this stuff. Mm -hmm. Right now, their numbers are still big enough; they don't have to care really. But if they wanted to turn things around, what would they do? I asked Mike Pesca, and he said they should uh, think more like another league. If I had one sentence to cure the NFL, I would say, look at the NBA. You don't do everything the NBA is doing. The NBA is doing making good decisions for their sport, but they're also forward-thinking and forward-looking. So you have a situation where the NFL is a little like, I don't know, not even, not even Walmart, but Kmart, and the NBA is like Amazon. He basically said, <laughs> wow. yeah, Pesca's going in. That's Cold. a burn. Yeah, but Pesca's basically saying so much of the things that the NBA is doing right now are keeping up with the culture. For instance, they have totally signed on to make their content available on all platforms. They're social media friendly. They don't mind if you watch a snippet on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. They're into that. They've opened themselves up to things like gambling. Uh, They allow their players to have much more of a say than in the NFL. They just seem to be more in touch with the culture. And he basically says the NFL needs to start doing some of that. Yeah, the lesson of the internet has always been you have to be willing to meet the audience where they are. 
Well, I do want to close out this NFL conversation on a high note and what I look forward to every year during the big game, the ads. Mm-hmm. They're always going to say fun. Justin Timberlake. <laughs> Delete. <laughs> Deal is off. Uh, no, not Justin Timberlake. He's doing the halftime show. He can just... You're aware of his listen. work. Until he fixes things with Janet Jackson. Right. Yep. I agree. I'm 100% Until with I you. hear the apology. Yep. During the halftime show. Yes. With like a visual of her behind him. Like, yeah. He hasn't fixed it yet, is no. all I'm saying. Nope. But I will say I um, did some digging to figure out what's going on with the Super Bowl commercials this year. Uh, for one... In spite of the lower ratings for the NFL, a 30-second ad in the big game is still going for more than $5 million wow. for yeah. 30 seconds. So I called up the editor-in-chief of Ad Age, Brian Breaker, and I was like, what should we expect from the ads this year? And what can they say about the state of the industry in the NFL? And he was like, these advertisers are still very bullish on the NFL. They know that this game is the biggest in town. They're going to pay a lot of money. But he also said, compared to last year, the ads are going to be a lot less political. Yeah, I mean, last year you saw some brands were willing to get a little more out on the edge politics-wise, or at least sort of take some kind of bold stance. You're not seeing that this year. Everyone's playing it safe. There's no allusions to walls. There's no nods to politics at all. He also said that in this Me Too moment that the country is having, he noticed a lot fewer women in ads. Which, he said, on the one hand, it's good because there's much less sexism. Because <laughs> yeah. usually when there are women in these ads... They're the object. It's, yes. It's GoDaddy.com. Exactly. So he said there's fewer women... So there's, fewer, there's less sexism, but there's also fewer women. Yeah. So that... That and fewer people of color. Right. Uh, I, yeah. I did take a look at a couple of ads oh, really? that were sort of like the trailers for yeah. these ads, which oh, is yeah. a whole other thing. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole thing we could talk about. <laughs> and and so last year, you know, a big part of the like, you know, there was that 84 Lumber commercial that had. Do you guys remember that uh, one? Yeah. It was about the mom and the daughter and they were cro- like, the it wall. looked like and the yeah. wall. That, and- com- that commercial worked so well on me. I bought so much lumber. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, right. But, you know, I mean, there were a lot of commercials sort of along those lines that actually had people of color in them. Mm -hmm. Um, And from what I've seen so far, not not so so much. much. Although apparently Cardi B is an ad for Amazon. The premise is Alexa, the smart speaker from Amazon, has lost her voice. So celebrities are filling in. Alexa, how far is Mars? How far is Mars? Well, how am I supposed to know? I've never been there. This guy want to go to Mars. (laughs) For what? (laughs) I like that. <laughs> I love Cardi B. She's Give her so the halftime show. Give her the her. halftime show. She can just do what I yell like five times. <laughs> when we come back, we will play my favorite game, Who Said That? BRB. Support for this podcast and the following message come from the NPR Wine Club. Discover hand-selected wines from award-winning vineyards around the world. Learn the stories behind each one and enjoy unique bottles inspired by your favorite NPR shows, all with the convenience of home delivery. A special welcome offer includes a bottle of weekend edition Cabernet Sauvignon. If you're 21 years or older, join in the fun at nprwineclub.org. Do you love trivia, puzzles, nerdy games, and humor? What about interviews with actors, musicians, and people from all walks of life? Yeah? Then join me, Ophira Eisenberg, host of NPR's Ask Me Another, every week on the NPR One app and wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, guys. Are you ready for my favorite game? So ready. Let's do it. Who said that? Ooh, who said that? Who said that? 
<laughs> you guys know how it goes. Who said that? <laughs> you, that was a perfect lip sync. <laughs> the game is so simple. I share a quote from the week. You guys have to guess who said that. We'll do three today. The winner gets absolutely nothing. Yeah. Perfect. Which is also what I hope the Patriots get this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> you don't watch football, but you hate the Patriots. I really that, do. That is how to do the Super Bowl. Thank you. Thank you. I'm here all week. First quote, ready? Ready. Quote, accordingly, we swipe left and reverse. Who said that? Accordingly, we swipe left and reverse. Uh, so it's from a court ruling. What's the court ruling about? What do you swipe left on? Well, Tinder. Tinder. Yes. Steven but, said it first. But is that a person? That, this was Tinder said this? <laughs> no, this is, this is an actual line uh, from a California appeals court ruling. This is a ruling that found that Tinder's pricing model is actually discriminatory. Because against right now, the old. against the old, right now, if you're 30 or over, you have to pay 20 bucks. Oh a my month gosh, really? For, for Tinder, and if you're less, 20 dollars a month, yeah. I have never used Tinder. <laughs> okay, yes. Well, there's a free version too, but if you want the pay version, if you're over 30, it's 20 bucks. If you are under 30, it's 9.99. Why yeah. is it just to get more young people using it? Yeah. Or is it is it the expectation that people over 30 can afford it? I don't. I don't I'm baffled. I think they just don't want us on there. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean them on. <laughs> yeah, them, 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 them yeah. on there. If I went on there, they'd be like, uh, "For you, it's fifty, buddy." <laughs> oh no! All right, uh, Stephen, you're up one to zip. That is the cheapest point I've ever scored, and I have scored some cheap points. It's okay. On this show. It's okay. Uh, for the next quote, in a first ever for this game, we're just gonna play the audio. Ooh. One, two. <gasps> Hello. Hello? Hello? What? Oh, it's it's like an animal that can imitate What animal, a yo? Human voice. Yes, yes, what animal? It's Is oh, it a is it oh no a water animal? It's a, no, it's a water animal. Is it a to- That's not close enough. That's no, not don't close give him the buzzer. It's, not, it's a dolphin. It's a dolphin. It. No, it's not a dolphin. A porpoise. No, it's, it's a porpoise. No, bigger. Dream big. Whale. Well, yes. She said water animal, so she gets Orca. the porpoise. It's an orca. It's an orca. Vanessa gets it. <laughs> also, I'm Especially since I, since I shouted dolphin. And clarifying point of wrong. order. Brent had the little, the, the little winter buzzer go off when y'all said water animal. <laughs> That's... No, you can't do that. I take it. No. <laughs> hey, you know what? If I got a point for saying, what, tender? And <laughs> she gets a point for water animal. Vanessa gets a point. So there was a story this week all about how orcas can kind of almost talk. Um, NPR's Camilla Dominoski wrote about it, and she said, quote, an international team of researchers working with two orcas at an aquarium in France have found that the whales were able to replicate the sounds of human speech, including words like hello and bye-bye, as well as a series of sounds like aha. One, two. (coughs) Sorry, that's not actually close. Hello. (coughs) That's not hello. Hello. I don't buy this. But it's an attempt to imitate. Well, the yeah, fact that there yeah. is an attempt to right. imitate. This is like is people who are like, oh, my dog just said that it loves me. No, it didn't. Your dog didn't say that. <laughs> yeah, your dog barked. Your dog's hungry. <laughs> you guys are tied one all. Uh, this one is for all the marbles. Wow, you ready? Oh, this is yep. big. The quote is I swear, I felt like I was hugged by an angel. Who said that? <sighs> okay. Uh. A hugged I've, I've, saw, I've seen this quote. I just Do you want me to give you another quote from the same person? Yeah. Um, the quote was, I was like, oh, my God. 
I looked at her, and all I could think was, no one's going to believe me. It's be, it's no be, one's going to believe me. It's, oh, uh, it's um, who got a selfie with Adele. Uh, or no, Adele. <laughs> who got a selfie with Adele? Who got a selfie with Beyonce? Yes. Uh, but that's, I didn't say who, who it was. Yeah. It's, you're close enough. <laughs> it's fine. I like the system. A I'm selfie sh- with Beyonce? I'm going to show you. the. the so Beyonce and Jay-Z were on their way to the Grammys. Yeah, yeah. And a random tourist saw them in oh. an elevator. Oh, it was a random tourist? I thought it was a performer. <laughs> no. No, this is a picture. random person. <laughs> it's so cute. She was like It's a tiny, blonde-haired woman. Like a grandma. Like a oh, yeah. Look at that look on her face. Sweater. Well, this is the appropriate reaction to Beyonce. Oh, yeah. So her name is Susan Monahan. Okay, I wouldn't have gotten that. She said that it was a moment that she was so proud of and was able to be cool for her grandkids. She's very happy. This is a highlight of oh, her yeah. life. So my question, though, is like if you saw Beyonce in a hallway or an elevator, what would you say to her? What would you say in the moment? I would give her the greatest gift of all. <laughs> Which I would is? leave her alone. <laughs> Oh no! I'd have some questions. I would be petrified. No, I've thought about this, and I would ask her this question: What is it, dear Miss Knowles Carter? How do you so deftly incorporate second and third wave feminist iconography in your visual art? (laughs) Spoken like a true interviewer. (laughs) That's what I would ask. I can picture you practicing that in the shower. Oh yeah! (laughs) But then I just cut, smash cut to Sam at an airport saying, "You're pretty." Uh, listen, Beyonce, if you're listening, come on the show. We'll be friends. Ms. Carter Knowles. Yeah. Uh, I think Steven won. Aww. Yes, he did. You get nothing. I, get, you get I, nothing. Will, I will treasure it. Yes, yes. All right. Before we get to best things all week, I wanted to tell you guys about a great conversation I had earlier this week. It's in our podcast feed right now. I talked with, you probably know her, Carrie Brownstein. I do. She's yeah, delightful. She's delightful. She is one of the stars of the IFC show Portlandia, which I'm sure you guys have watched before. Former NPR music blogger. Yeah. And she's the executive producer for that show as well. And uh, the show is in its final season. So I wanted to talk with her about that and how this show does a really good job of really skewering the urban left. Why it's a really interesting time to have the show end right now. It's it's a good time to go out, and I think in some ways a show that started with this thesis of, you know, the dream is alive, which was, you know, such a perhaps false idealism, false sense of utopia, you know, that the, the dream kind of crumbling is, is not the worst way for us to, 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 to have the final chapter of the show. She's saying the dream of liberals. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, it's in your feeds now, listeners. Check it out. Now it's time to end the weekly wrap the way that we always do with our listeners telling us the best things that happened to them all week. Am I starting? Oh, no. <laughs> yes, you're starting. <laughs> Wait, we should set on this part. <laughs> hey, Sam. It's hey. And Esther. What's up? The best thing that happened to me this week was I told my friend Esther here all about your podcast, and now we have something to bond over besides the high school students that we teach. Oh, I love it. And we just love your podcast because you're super hopeful and not a bummer. Oh, Thank you. That's the best part of our week. Thanks. Bye. I love it. Hi, Sam. This is Andrew from Plymouth, Michigan. Hey, man. And the best thing that happened to me this week is that I got to bring two of the high school choirs that I direct oh. to perform at the Michigan Music Conference in Grand Rapids. That's awesome. And they absolutely nailed it. Very nice. Hey, Sam. This is Beth in Columbus, Ohio. And the best thing that happened to me all week is that I taught my first college class. My girlfriend and I got to take home our nine-week-old Aussie Doodle. Oh. I just had my very first ride on my new pony, Billy. What? And she was perfect. Uh, I bet. Oh. My mom 
my husband and I flew to Chicago and saw Hamilton. Yeah. I went to the dentist for the first time in nine years Girl. because I'm terrified of doctors and dentists. And I came out with zero cavities. <laughs> That's good news. Hey, Sam, this is Richie. This past week, I've been working 14-hour shifts overnight on labor and delivery. And I got to deliver my first baby. It was great. Wow. It was beautiful. And it's been the highlight of medical school so far. Yeah. Hey, Sam. This is Christina from Houston, Texas. And Hi. I've had a pretty tough last few months. Um, things have just been kind of hard. And... The best part of my week is that I finally told my best friend about it. Mm. And thanks to her, I went to my university's counseling and mental health center for Good. the first time. And Good for you. It wasn't that fun. It was pretty scary, but uh. it's going to be good. It is. Uh, have a great weekend. You too. Huge step. Hi, Sam. This is Claudia from Northbrook, Illinois. Hello. The best part of my week was being able to capture my twin daughters on video, giving each other a hug. I saw this video. It's amazing. They are almost 16 months, and whenever they gave each other a hug, they would notice that I would say, aw. And so when they give each other a hug, they always say, aw. Hugs? <laughs> aw. Hugs? Hugs? Uh, <laughs> and so that was really nice to capture on video and have that as a keepsake to show them when they get older. I love it. Keep up the great work. Thanks, Sam. Thanks. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks to all the voices you heard there. Esther and Allison, Andrew, Beth, Scott, Josie, Casey, Lisa, Richie, Christina, and Claudia. We saw the video, too. It's so beautiful. I'm going to show you guys later. The, both of the little twins, they have these little high ponytails. It's oh so my cute. Gosh. It's so cute. Every week, I could listen to 45 minutes of this yeah. segment. Yeah. I, I love our listeners. We listen to all these that come in. We wish we could play them all. One day, we will. Let's just commit to that. Yeah. One day, we're going to give you an hour of this. <laughs> when you have a vacation. Yes. <laughs> just <laughs> sit together, all people being happy. Yes. Yes. Um, but until next week, listeners, send me the sound of your voice sharing your best thing any week, throughout the week, whenever you want. Just email me at samsanders at npr.org. samsanders at npr.org. We're going to go out with one of the best things of my week. Oh! Discovering Chris Stapleton. He's good. He's got it. <laughs> He could say, you hear that it's guitar? official. Sam Sanders says, he's got it. He's got it. Somewhere Chris Stapleton is like, finally. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The show this week was produced by Brent Bachman and Anjali Sastry. Steve Nelson is our director of programming, and we had editing help this week from Jeff Rogers and Uri Berliner. Our big boss who signs the check is NPR's VP of programming, Anya Grunman. Thanks to our guest, Vanessa Romo of the Two-Way Blog, and Stephen Thompson, man about NPR. <laughs> I appreciate y'all. This thank you. Fun. Oh, thanks, man. This was Great. so fun. Yeah. Chris Stapleton, thank you. Listen to him sing. I can't do that. I can't. <laughs> I wish I could. Uh, listeners, refresh your podcast feeds Tuesday morning uh, to hear my conversation with Texas congressman and Senate candidate trying to unseat Ted Cruz, uh, Beto O'Rourke. Until then, thanks for listening. I'm Sam Sanders. Talk soon.